0: Hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Ramos Law Difference Makers podcast, where I, your host, Dr. Jim Hoven, have a chance to talk with cool people all the time. They're doing amazing things, literally making a difference in the lives of people just like you. Today, incredible opportunity. This is an ad hoc performance. I do not have anything prepped with these guys because I know they're so cool they crush it so much in what they do. I get to work with these folks every day. And right now I'm going to introduce you to some of my favorite litigation attorneys. Now we'll describe what that means later, but this suffice it to say, that means these are the big guns. These are the people that are out there doing amazing things for people who need help. They are champions of the people. They work here at Ramos Law. They are litigation, part of our powerhouse team, I have with me today, Miss Jessica Schlatter, who's the head of the litigation division at our firm. And then I have Madeline Robbins, who basically for all intents and purposes, she's the up and comer, she's the young gun, big swing. And not only that, but she's gonna be a new mama soon. I am. I, I know, am. I'm so excited. So we're gonna have this conversation today. And I was so glad that you guys could break away from your busy schedule. Cause I know you got so many cases on board, you're working on trials, all this stuff. So thank you so much for taking the time out to join me.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having us.
0: Yes. So here's where we start. I want for you guys both individually to go back a little bit in time and tell us what made you want to be an attorney in the first place. How did that get started?
1: You first? Sure. Um, So I have always seen myself kind of as the fighter of the underdog. Um, my brother is, has Asperger syndrome, and I just remember as a kid um, he would come home crying some days just because he was different. So on the playground, he would, you know, get bullied just a little bit. And I remember wanting to go out on the playground and go talk to every single one of them, go talk to the kids' moms. Um, obviously, my mom would say that's not my place. I need to. Now, sit were you the big deaf. sister or little sister? I was the big, You're sister. A big sister. I was the okay. big sister. So I always I, I and I loved it. I very much enjoyed doing that for my brother, and I just felt like it was kind of my calling. And I know that that sounds so cliche but um, being in this profession, I get to do that every day. I get to fight for the underdog, for the people that feel like they don't have a voice, um, maybe don't have a dog in the fight. And I stand up and do what's right um, and ensure that, you know, justice is served. So just from a kid, I kind of knew that this is always what I wanted to do. Um, not only, you know, I'm, I'm past the stage of doing it for my, my little brother. Now he can handle himself, he can handle <laughs> his own, um, but just doing it every single day. And these people are not, you know, they turn from strangers to like friends sometimes at the end of this. So, um, I think that this was just a really, really good fit as a career for me. Um, just doing what I I love doing as a kid.
0: Did you have family members that were in the field of law that kind of were a guidepost for you or literally did you go like, no, I, I wanna argue for these rights of people. I wanna take care of them. It was kind of your own thing.
1: So my stepfather is an attorney. He does personal injury and workers compensation back in Louisiana. Um, he didn't really come into my life until, I wanna say like 11th grade of high school. Um, so I kinda knew I wanted to be an attorney, yeah. but when I started working in his office, I mean, I started literally cleaning his office, but I got to see how he organized all the files and, um, to him on phone conversations and stuff like that. So I think that he probably solidified my desire to be an attorney, but I kind of had that on my radar prior to that.
0: Love it. And Jessica, how about you? What's your backstory for getting to this point in your life?
2: Yeah, hard to follow that, but <laughs> I like to argue. And I've always liked to argue, and you could ask my mother. I always had to have the last word and wanted to be the one to win it. Okay, now, are
0: you only child, or did you have siblings that you would practice all this with?
2: I had an older brother, and he excelled in almost everything he tried. So I think I wanted to branch out in a different area than he did.
0: Now, was he more athletics and academics and all that, and you were that, or were you athletics as well? And and so you guys were kind of going back and forth?
2: A little of both, a lot of competition. I don't know if he felt that way, but I did as being the younger one.
0: How much difference in years between you guys?
2: Almost four.
0: Almost four. So he was finishing high school while you were starting high school, that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, he graduated right before I started.
0: Okay, nice. And were you on the debate team or was there a debate team in high school like where you started honing your skills from being an arguer into being a communicator?
2: We didn't have a debate team, at least not that I knew of, but we had certain classes like political science, things like that, and I got into some of the little mock trials.
0: Even in high school? That we had, yeah. That's impressive. And so when did you know that you wanted to be an attorney? Was it from that young age or was it through one of these mock trial classes, something that made you go, oh, that's what I want to do?
2: I think it was ninth grade. Wow. The first class that we Read had. Read of
0: your friends like, wait, what? You know you want to be an attorney? <laughs> and we're freshmen.
2: Yeah, a little bit.
0: Nice. So after high school, where did you end up going to college and subsequently to law school?
2: I went to University of Colorado Boulder, mainly following my boyfriend, then now husband. Cool. And did psychology and sociology, double major.
0: With the intention of going to law school? Yeah. So tell me about that. Did you find that those were foundational pieces that you thought would help you into law school? Or was that like, you know what, I know I can crush these, which is going to help me have a great GPA to get into law school with my volunteer work and all that kind of stuff. What was the thought there?
2: It was a little of both. I Unfortunately, the undergrad is really just a prerequisite. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how much it really helps in the legal field, but I didn't need an engineering degree to go to law school. Right. So right. Part of it was just getting through the years, but I also thought it might help Work with people. I knew I wanted to help people find a way into that arena, and you know, psychology, sociology helps a little bit there. It
0: does. And so, where did you end up going to law school then? From CU, or uh, did you stay at CU?
2: Stayed at CU.
0: Okay. So now, are you big uh, Deion Sanders fan? Coach Prime coming to the <laughs> coming to Boulder?
2: We'll see. I think he is going to add a lot of publicity. Obviously, already has, but also ticket prices are rising. So are they really? Yeah, as a longtime fan, that's a little frustrating. That
0: is frustrating, given the fact that uh, I haven't had a winning season in, in a while now. But
2: First time they're even charging for the spring game. Oh, no. Really? Yep.
0: Do they give away one of those cool Coach Prime sweatshirts, hoodies when you, when we'll you buy it? We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And how about you, Madeline? Where did you go to college and then to law school?
1: So born and raised in Louisiana, so I went to LSU for college. How um, cool was that? And then moved up here after my husband finished law school at LSU um, to go to CU Boulder, just like Jessica did.
0: And you guys met in law school or no?
1: No, no. Um, what What year did you graduate? 2017. Okay. So I came into law school 2018. Okay. Um, so I was just right on her cusp, but we never overlapped.
0: Got it. And so what did you find was the biggest challenge or transition when you were going from LSU to Colorado? Was there something as far as anything that, that was a big difference culturally for you or anything like that? <laughs> the weather, number
1: one. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I guess it's not culturally, but the weather was a huge shock. Um, mm. The number one thing that I hated in Louisiana was the humidity. Yes. Um, it was like living in uh, underwater all the time um, and you never got used to it. So the weather was a very, very big difference. Um, getting to enjoy summers outside without having heat advisories every single day <laughs> um, was really, really good. Um, Culturally, coming from the South, uh, I remember it- this was this was a major um, shift for me. In the South, when you pass people, no matter what, you're always smiling, saying hello, how are you doing? Um, not that I particularly, you know, went out of my way to ever go talk to strangers or anything, but I remember the first time I had moved up here, um, passed somebody in the grocery store and like smiled and like said, hey, how are you doing? And she completely ignored me, and I was what? like, yeah. And I was you don't like, get to do that. And my husband was like, they don't do that up here. They don't <laughs> do that up here. Um, but not just. Culturally, too. I mean, it came, uh, like Jessica, we didn't, you know, have like pre-law or do anything like that in college. I um, majored in pre-med, kinesiology, pre-medicine, which was very, very black and white. Why did you
0: choose that? Knowing that you wanted to be a lawyer.
1: Um, The human body really, I mean, just to be completely honest with you, the human body really, really fascinates me. Um, I really wanted to take all of the medical terminology classes, the cadaver classes, um, the human movement sciences classes. Um, It was just a, a... degree that I thought would be fun and while it was challenging I mean I did have a lot of fun with it um so going from a a focus of being very very black and white all you had to do was for a week memorize 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 to law school where things were very abstract um to you can memorize all you want but that's not going to help you on a fact pattern in the exam that was a huge shift um for me and especially coming up here neither my husband nor I have any family up here so um We were, you know, we were alone, had to start over, make our new friends. Uh, Thankfully, my husband's brother moved up here. Um, I want to say about a year and a half after we came. Um, So that was really, really nice. Uh, But there was just some major shifts that went on, you know, socially, culturally. And like I said, the weather.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you one thing that you guys, especially for you, might be new. Um, There's a thing here and it might be everywhere, but it's really big here. It's a Jeep thing. So if you drive a Jeep, not all Jeeps, not Cherokees and liberties, but Mm -hmm. if you drive like a Wrangler Jeep or something like that, every time you pass Jeeps, you wave
1: my husband knows absolutely <laughs> right he has a it's, Wrangler it, it, yeah. It, yeah and
0: so you know that's what I drive is is one of those guys and so it reminded me of that like you're saying everyone being friendly and so yeah. when I raise my hand as a jeep's going by when they don't raise their hand I'm like what's up dude yeah you're part of jeep nation you don't don't you understand this is the ethos around, that's, over. A, that's right give a little bump on the yeah. back so <laughs> so yeah it's it's interesting um culturally and as you guys found your culture found your vibe and your calling to do this you know that you're going to be an attorney, you're in law school, you're matriculating, it's time for graduation. Did you um, notice, Jessica, that you wanted to go into personal injury right away, or did you start in another path and end up here somehow?
2: Yeah, I actually started out wanting to be criminal, and I think that drove some of my sociology degree as well. I specialized in criminalization. Um, once I got into law school and started learning about you know public defender crisis and how difficult that job is and how quickly burnout happens in it i started looking at other things i considered um, oil law because my brother his wife works in the oil field my grandma worked in the oil field for a long time and that just became so specialized and dealt with contracts a little bit, tried a job where I was doing contracts and got really bored. So I fell into a personal injury firm in Westminster and clerked there for a year, had a great mentor. Um, He took me to trial. He took me to depots and investigations and I loved it. And I found a very interesting aspect to personal injury that made it stick out as not just what you see on TV.
0: Yes. Such a big difference, right? And I said this in the intro about you guys being champions for our clients, your clients. And it's so interesting to me that people, they can't speak for themselves. Even when they want to, they might not say the right thing because they don't know how to say it to people who don't really look for their opinions, right? And so they need that voice. What was your story when you came in, uh, Madeline, to deciding PI? Was it because of your stepdad? Is that what kind of made you go that direction?
1: Well, it just kind of made sense. Not only with yes, my stepdad, absolutely. I was introduced to a lot of the things that he did and I just thought that he was the coolest. Um, but it made sense with my undergrad degree too. I could kind of put the medical terminology and the understanding that I had, very, very basic. Again, obviously I am no doctor, um, not even close. But just having that very basic sense of Um, being able to read medical records and kind of understand what's going on. It made sense to go into personal injury. Um, Like Jessica, I went to the same Westminster um, uh, law office, had a very, very good mentor too, which was Jessica. Um, And we also did medical malpractice there too. So that was kind of what I originally wanted to go in, but I knew medical malpractice doesn't normally stand on its own. Um, So med mal plus personal injury just seems like a great fit for me.
0: That's wonderful. You mentioned mentor. I love that word to me. Mentorship um, is either happening consciously or unconsciously. And sometimes some of our mentors when we're not careful can lead us in a wrong direction, right? Like when you look at so many um, of our youth, if they're involved in things that they shouldn't be involved in, when you look at the the people they hang around with, generally they were kind of led by someone into that direction because of something, but mentorship, when consciously applied is an incredible tool and and what a strength and an asset you mentioned that jessica was your mentor um did either of you guys have mentors outside of that that led you here i know your you know your stepdad was probably filled that mentor role so maybe there was someone or a teacher that really helped push you and if so what were some of the lessons that you guys got from your mentors that applied to help get you now to this really the incredibly important work that you do My
1: stepdad is going to love that I'm just talking about him um, (laughs) so much on this, Um, but really one of the greatest lessons that I learned from him, like Jessica said, being a personal injury attorney is so different than what you see on TV and what you hear on advertisements and um, TV shows. It's being personable and learning how to be a human, while also being um, a professional and a very strong advocate for your clients. Um, Being able to go to opposing counsel in a profession where it is built on on adversarial relationships it truly is i mean there's no time where me and defense counsel are actively working towards the same goal that's just not the nature of this case um of this career um so being able to be personable and find a way to still maintain humanity and kindness um throughout this career not only helps me mentally, but it absolutely helps our clients too. Um, You gotta find the middle ground with your adversary here. And being an adversary doesn't necessarily mean that everything has to be aggressive. So I think that that's one of the biggest lessons that I learned from him, Um, especially, I mean, we always make fun of him so much. It does not matter where we go in the United States, outside of the United States on vacations, he knows somebody um, because he, put such a big emphasis on making those connections. Um, So I think that that would be one of the biggest lessons that I learned kind of outside of my um, close circle in this career is, you know, you gotta maintain some humanity in this career and it takes you far, it really does.
0: That's wonderful. How about you, Jessica?
2: Yeah, I'm kicking myself for blanking on that one, but um, a coworker at that other firm in Westminster names Paige Singleton, I think, I owe a lot to her and what I've learned in this career. And she she's someone who does not back down from a fight and doesn't challenge any ethical dilemma. She's just head into it, and she fights not only for her clients but for the people in the firm. And I think I, I took on a lot of that, and I've been able to bring it here some. And I think, I mean... She's an incredible person definitely
0: i love that so much when you guys now fast forward into where we're at now there's two types of personal injury law from our perspective right at at ramos law we have pre-litigation and then we have litigation would you guys explain the difference because you guys are, are part of our litigation specialty team meaning we couldn't find resolution in stage one so we have to take it to the next stage but you guys will explain it far better than I. So would you describe what litigation is and how it like, why would someone get to litigation instead of having their case end in pre-litigation?
2: Sure. So someone's injured, um, whether it be on the job or in a car accident and you start off the claim by just making a claim with the insurance company. Um, hopefully there is one, if there's not, hopefully that person has their own coverage. And if, you're working with the insurance company and they start denying your claim or they're making a low ball offer that won't help that client, um, in any means, then that's when you start looking at, Hey, we need to file a lawsuit and move into the litigation process.
0: So a lawsuit starts. Cause a lot of people think I don't want to get an attorney because I don't want to sue anybody. And, and that is It's a common misconception, right? Because you're not suing anybody if you can come to an agreement. And what our pre-litigation group does is they're, they're the ambassador for, or the the mouthpiece for the person to, to talk about their rights and the situation that happened and everything going on. And then if we can come to an agreement based on their injuries and their life being changed, maybe forever, if we can get that, then all good. But when we can't get that, that's the only time a lawsuit happens, right?
2: Ideally, yeah, we're not in the business of trying to just sue individuals and ruin their lives either. I look at them as sometimes another victim of these insurance companies who aren't willing to be reasonable, aren't willing to look at our clients like they're real people who've gone through real things.
0: Yes. Oh, that's crazy to me when that happens. Because, and I know, uh, Madeline, you were talking about the humanity and how it's an adversarial work but you try to find common ground with these folks when it comes to communicating with them it, it is it, sometimes it blows my mind as as you know i mean training i'm a chiropractor so i have that healer side and then it, it's all the business side for me i don't get into what you guys do i don't know anything about it but i know that i'm like how come they can't just hear the story and it makes sense and use their compassion side those guys and gals have a job to do which is to try to save their company as much money as possible. Where do you see the balance in being able to find this relationship versus saying, Hey, you're being unreasonable. Now I got to take you out. Like how do you guys measure that in going through? Is it literally a a touch and feel thing? Or is it, is there a, a strategy that you see getting played on against, we'll say it against our side. And then you go, Oh, okay. I see where you're taking this. You're not wanting to be reasonable. So now we're going to fight. Like, do you guys have a, a thought on that?
1: Um, I always explain it to my clients as a chess game, and we're making moves, they're making moves. Um, When I see that we are at a stalemate is when I determine that it's probably time to bring this into litigation. Um, In the perfect world, obviously, like Jessica said, we would not be taking any of these people into court, we would not be suing them. Again, they are sometimes victims in and of themselves because these insurance companies are acting more like a business and seeing the humanity um, of the situation. And and back to just being adversarial, some of our clients are scared of initiating the process of litigation. And I remember back in law school, we'd obviously go through trial advocacy, which is basically mock trial. and we would get points for every objection every basically just being aggressive in the courtroom and i remember going to my first trial and being like why aren't they objecting to this why aren't you why aren't you standing up and yelling um it really is not like that it's not like what you see on tv um the judges are for the most part extremely nice and when you get to you know meet opposing counsel in person you see that they are humans just like you are too um so you know the balance is 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 a tricky one, I want to say, but it is kind of a slow process, and we're very thankful to have such a great pre-litigation team here at Ramos Law. Um, I would say only about. Would you give a percentage for how many cases actually go into litigation? With the number of cases we hard, have, it's hard.
2: Um, I mean, ones to trial would probably be less than
1: five percent. For sure. To litigation, maybe ten. For sure. Um, it's definitely just a chess game where we are moving pieces back and forth, back and forth. And you can kind of get a sense for when the insurance company is not willing to move, not willing to budge. Um, and there are some times where you talk to the client and say, you know, I think that this is actually a really good offer and that we should move forward th- with this. Give them the risk benefit analysis. But also the client is the captain of the ship. We are here to give them our best um advice and our professional uh, opinions on these things, but it's ultimately what the client wants to do at the end of the day with all of the information that we have to give them.
0: You know what's interesting about this? I went through this as a client. This was when I was still a treating provider and um, my wife, Shauna, who you guys both know, she was hit by a um, drunk driver, hit and run. She decides to chase the person. She chases <laughs> them enough to get the, the license plate. So, it turns out this person had had multiple offenses for um, drinking and driving and this and that. And so, as we were going through the process, the um, and, and people may not understand this, we've done several episodes on coverage and what coverage is, it, you know, how coverage works on the, the podcast. Um, maybe we'll hit it just quickly here. But the way that it works, at least in our state, is whoever's at fault, they're primarily responsible for the medical bills, right? Well, my wife ended up having 106,000 in medical bills for her injuries from this car crash. And so they burned through all the money that the other guy had, and then it became our insurance. So we used the, what's called the bodily injury for those people watching or listening, which is the uh, the pers- the at-fault party. You burn through all their money because they had minimum limits. And then it comes to ours, our underinsured in this case, or uninsured motorist policy. So we had a good coverage there. So our own company said, Pound sand. We think that you, your bills are enough. We're, we're not going to pay any more for your bills.
1: The bad faith cases. Yeah.
0: My own insurance company. I'm like, wait, we've been giving you guys money in premiums for decades. And now when we need you the most, you're not there. Like I didn't understand because I had never been through it. You know, I had treated hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of patients in an auto situation. And my whole deal was they, they all had attorneys. And so I would just do my thing and make sure I did my best. And then that would happen. So when it came down to the insurance company, when it was my own person, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Do you guys see that a lot as far as how the, why the clients get so confused? They they don't get it. Like, why would that happen? You know what I mean? Do you see that a lot too?
2: Yeah, and we see it even with at-fault insurers. They're confused. Why aren't they just willing? I mean, we get offers below medical expenses sometimes, and certain insurance carriers are worse than others. Unfortunately, they've just done that risk-benefit analysis. And to them, sometimes there's firms that aren't willing to litigate. So if they're looking at a firm and saying, take it or leave it, and if you're not willing to go to the mat and say, leave it, we're going to file a lawsuit, then some clients are left out to dry.
0: And what I hear you saying there, Jessica, I want you to expand on that just a minute. What I hear you saying is that there are cost to benefit ratios in place where similar, and and this may not be right, so you guys correct me if it's not. When an oil company is shipping oil across the sea or a factory is burning their trash or something, they know that they're going to get fined when they get caught. It's just a matter of when. But they feel like the profits that they're making from doing what they're doing far outpace the cost of the fine, so it's a cost of doing business. And so when I hear you say this cost-to-benefit to analysis, that they're going, look, only so many of these are going to go to trial, and if you're not with a firm that's aggressive, that's got that got big dogs that are willing to not only bark but bite like crazy, hmm, we're going to lowball you. We're going to lowball you, and then you get a you get a group of those, and then they know they got you. Is that kind of what you're saying?
2: Yeah, absolutely. If you have a hundred law firms in the state of Colorado and say 25 of them are willing to file the lawsuit and then 10 of those are willing to take these cases to trial, then yeah, they're looking at, okay, we can get away with this 95 times out of a hundred.
0: And they also know then, would it make sense that they know that if they come into contact with you guys, we obviously, you guys are prepping for trial constantly. There is not a time where you're not prepping for a trial. So is it would it be safe to say then that those same carriers who look at, ooh, 95% of the time, we're good, would they look at us differently and say, Ugh, oh, Ramos is on this case? We better, we better be prepared to fight if we're not prepared to be fair. Is that the same thing on the other side?
2: Yeah, they should be. That's what we're trying <laughs> to do.
0: <laughs> well, you guys have had some incredible results with respect to um, some of the trial verdicts that you've gotten and, and people that were that were basically given nothing, told that their case, their story, and what their injuries, they were totally negated and made to seem as they were worthless. But yet, you know, a lot of firms and a lot of people would have said, you know, there's so much against you here and there's this and that and we don't need to fight, but you did not. Would you guys mind sharing this most recent story? And obviously, you know, protecting all the details as you need to, but it just, it's so inspiring to me and the reason that I want the audience to, to hear or see this, depending on how they're consuming the content today is because no matter what they're engaged in, no matter what they're doing, doing it for the right reason at the right time, every time is going to, it's going to play out so that even if it feels like it, it's not going to work, sometimes it's going to work. And these stories of how you change these people's lives, I literally come to work every day to hear them. So if one, if one of you guys would just kind of share that story, that'd be great.
2: Yeah. So our most recent trial we did together was in January. And it was a woman who was in a motor vehicle collision a few years ago. And uh, she was hurt by a driver who had minimum limits. And in Colorado, that's only 25000 So uh, you talked about your wife who had 106000 in medical expenses. 25000 might seem like a lot to some people, but... Once you're dealing with the medical system, it can go pretty quickly.
0: Especially if you end up with an ambulance to the ER. I mean, you might have 15,000 gone.
2: Just on that first day. In the first
0: day. Yeah, Yeah.
2: exactly. So, this woman, um, she got to a clinic, uh, was doing some treatment, and there was a certain point where she had to look and say, okay, I only have this um, carrier on the other side with 25,000 I can't keep treating. I need to go back to my life. So, she had approximately 8,000 in past medical expenses and this carrier offered her 4,500 in pre-litigation. Filed the lawsuit, they kept offering 4,500 and never offered her more.
0: What was their reasoning? Why now they they can't just go, well, too bad. Like, were they saying these weren't medically necessary? She had pre-existing conditions. She had gaps in care. Like, why would they possibly not even be willing to own when there was enough coverage to pay for all the bills to say we're not even gonna pay for all the bills even though the coverage is there?
2: This is one of those carriers that this is their MO. It's what they do. But they do it more often on collisions where there's not a lot of property damage. If they say your car isn't that badly damaged, therefore you can't be hurt. They're not making that connection that we are not made of metal and plastic. We're flesh and bone. The way we were looking over our shoulder, where we had our hands on the wheel. Um, you know, Our own body composition, our own genetics can play a role in how injured we are in a collision. They don't care about any of that. They're just running the numbers.
0: Isn't that crazy? Well, I, I want you to finish the story, but I want to jump in right here for people that might be going, so low property damage doesn't mean low bodily damage. It's so interesting. And you guys can talk to more about this, this whole uh, eggshell thing, but from a provider's perspective, when you hit it, Jessica, when you said, how was that person looking at the time? What were their previous injuries? If they have a, a bad neck before it's not their fault that they got hit with a previously bad neck. That's now from a, from a treating perspective, whenever you have degeneration or previous trauma, And you get in another trauma the degeneration process accelerates Mm -hmm. it goes faster than it would without that and when you look at from um a damages perspective what can happen even with considering like a closed head injury right concussion concussion type stuff five mile an hour impact five miles an hour can cause a mild tbi traumatic brain injury because what people don't think of is you got the weight of this car Right, whether it's 3,000, 5,000, pounds hitting another vehicle, and if that vehicle doesn't get destroyed like on a racetrack, you know, on the racetrack, they're going 200 mm-hmm. and they get up and they walk out, and peace signs and yeah. all around. Well, if you're not in a race car that takes all that energy, that's why it all blows up because the energy is transferred through all the parts of the car. But when you have steel and plastic and hit more steel and plastic, it's not a good thing when there's low property damage. Cause that means the, the, all the energy transferred through the occupants. It didn't transfer through the metal, the plastics, that kind of thing. So I just wanted to, to make that point for people that might be listening to say, wait a minute, if, if you're not in a bad car accident and there's not a lot of property damage, can you really be hurt? Answer is You absolutely can be hurt. So anyway, sorry for that diversion in the story. So these guys were lowballing, not medical offers. What happens then?
2: Uh, we took it to trial and we got a jury who believed in our client, believed she was injured and wanted to make sure that, um, I guess, the person who hit her didn't get off scot-free and they awarded her over
0: $90,000. Wow. So when we go from offering her less than five to 90, that's a big change in her life, in that person's life, right? And I, I imagine... I mean, I want you guys to each individually. Tell me what you get from this. If I'm in your shoes for you to be able to like $90,000, it's not going to change your life forever, right? You're not retiring on $90,000. But to me, when she's got to say someone gets it, I really was hurt. My life did get messed up. Like finally, these people who were not taking care of me had to take care of me to love, she wasn't asking for seven million dollars mm-hmm. right she she it was all what it should have been in the first place so what do you guys get from these moments like that that just fills me with pride that the system works when good people are doing the right things what do you get guys individually get from doing what you do
1: the word that comes to my mind is vindication um and i know that that can kind of be a big you know aggressive type of word but truly i feel it um you know, in my heart, because these are our clients that are getting up in front of a jury and having a defense counsel come up and say, you're a liar, you're an exaggerator, you're a malingerer, nobody should believe her kind of thing. And you're over here going, how could you stand up and say that about her? Um, and like I said earlier, these are people that we get to know and we get to know them really, really well. So it, it, it almost, you know, goes back to my brother, that feeling of me just wanting to stand up and be like, you are absolutely not going to say that about her. So at the end of the day, having a jury that comes back and says, no, I believe her um, and I don't appreciate obviously you calling her a liar. I don't believe in that. It makes me feel so incredibly happy for the client because we were able to get up there and be able to tell her side of the story and um, in an obviously believable way but it's the truth so it's really really hard having these people get up and you know it's sometimes embarrassing for them too um they're laying their medical records on the line they're laying up uh, this this isn't a time in their life where they're having just an absolute great time <laughs> yes. um this is sometimes for our clients one of the worst moments of their life and to have that compounded with um, sometimes multiple defense counsels coming up and calling you a liar—it's—it's it's horrible. Yeah. Um, so I would just say vindicated and being able to tell our client's story in the best way possible to get across to this
0: this entire jury. Wow, great point. What about you, Jessica?
1: Yeah, I mean,
2: definitely similar. It's—it's it's justice, and that's why we call it the civil justice system. And this is—I mean, this last trial. Pretty much every trial I've done is with a client that, sorry, they, I don't know if deserve is the right word, but they, they were deserving people and they went through something and I believed in them wholeheartedly through every step of the process. And trial can be one of the most frustrating experiences, not just for them, but for us as well, having to go up there and listening to another side that can say whatever they want. And in the end, it makes you really understand why we do what we do, because so, we get seven people that also agree with us and what we're saying.
0: That makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. I want to turn the topic now just a little bit. Um, you guys are two women operating at the top of your field, and you're both moms. Well, you're... Gonna Mom, be. Be. Mom <laughs> to be. Mom to be. Mom to be. So I wanna explore that a little bit for because you're an inspiration. You're an inspiration to me. I know, you know, um being a, a dad, it, it was different than you know, how my friends that are chiropractors that are moms, their journey was different than my journey as a dad chiropractor, just the way that it was set up. With you guys as attorneys, female attorneys, is is um is there a ton of female attorneys Are female attorneys, still the minority with respect to numbers compared to males. I'm not sure. I mean, I know we got a a decent number of female attorneys here. It's not, I don't think it equals what our male number is. So I don't know how the parts work out, but so part one, female part two, mom and mom to be, what's that like doing what you do?
2: (laughs) I think females in the legal field, are getting close to 50%, but still in the minority.
0: And how about in in litigation and going to trial versus contract work or pre-litigation work or any of that stuff?
2: Definitely in the minority in there.
0: And what do you think that's about?
2: I, I'm not sure because I did go that route. So for me, I didn't feel like that wasn't something that I could do, but I have seen that I am treated differently in the field. And I've had experiences that were incredibly disappointing, especially as I was newer starting up.
0: So, uh, so you, you, in a way, you guys are kind of still in the pioneer phase for women to have this position of arguing in front of juries. I remember um, I was watching a, um, I was watching a show about a one of our um, Supreme Court justices and the things that she went through as one of the first and go just the amount of inertia that she had to overcome in order to get to that position and what it meant for others then to go, wow, look at her male and female, look at her, what she's doing. Either I want to follow in her footsteps because I'm a her or I want to follow in her footsteps because I love her ideals and I love what she stands for. That's what you guys are doing in a sense, right? Especially if there if there isn't a lot of litigation, especially trial. That's a whole nother level. Trial is a whole nother level than just litigation. Cause I know a lot of these cases still settle and don't end up at trial. So for people that end up in front of judges and in front of juries, that's a big deal. I mean, you guys should be, do you feel that how, what, how you're, you're kind of still the tip of the spear helping not only your clients, but also helping others that are looking to follow in your footsteps. Do, do you have any weight of that or sense of it?
1: I think so Um, and I think that you know the tone of this is starting to change in the legal profession Um, but women being confident and being loud and being strong isn't taken the same way that a male necessarily is taken in the courtroom. Um, So, you know, I keep going back to the word aggression, and again, I don't mean it as being mean. I mean it as being, you know, confident and loud and and standing up no matter what for your client. Um, Sometimes as a woman woman, that is seen as masking something um, is seen as she has to make up for maybe her lack of knowledge um, or her lack of skill in the courtroom by being aggressive, Whereas men, when they come off as aggressive, is seen as strong, courageous, believable. Um, And I do not think that that this goes for absolutely everybody. Again, I think that the tone is shifting in today's day and uh, age and our culture right now. But I think that that's one of the biggest humps that I had to get over was that it's okay to be loud and confident um, because that's the best way that we can be an advocate for our clients. And I think that we can do it in a way that does not come off as we are masking um, any ineptitude in the courtroom in and of itself. So I think that that's one of the major shifts that we're going through right now. Um, and hopefully one day it, it's also seen as confidence and also seen as being strong and a great leader and a great advocate rather than as she's she's hiding something. Kind of yeah.
0: thing. Yeah, how do you feel, Jessica?
1: Can you remind me of the question?
0: Basically of uh, <laughs> being in this position as a female attorney that is now in the courtroom that is fighting for and being seen in a different light than, oh yeah, they're, they're an attorney that's behind the desk. That's just making sure the contract details are right. No, 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 no. We're in the arena and we're battling for what we believe is right. How does that feel for you? Knowing that it's not commonplace right now, you know, you you guys are in a position of treading new ground, so to speak.
2: I don't know if I really feel that when I'm in the courtroom. I feel like it's more something that I just see in the day to day.
0: Okay. And so when, when you're in, the, when you're in the courtroom, then when you're looking at a jury, you're telling a story. The thing about what I, and I get to teach doctors um, from our, now my perspective here about documentation and about storytelling and this and that. And here's what I tell doctors. I say, look, guys and gals, You are authors of the story. You write the story. And if you write a crappy story, our attorneys can't tell any better of a story than you write. So you got to get it right. You are the storytellers. Our attorneys are the storytellers. So when you're looking at a jury, is there something that you're specifically looking to tell? I've heard you in action and I love Madeline, what you said with this aggression that doesn't come off as wild wild man syndrome, you know, where you're just losing your mind. Like I've seen you do what you do and it is very certain and it is very definitive and there's no doubt what you're looking to do, right? Like it's just very plain because that's your style and it's amazing when you're communicating with that jury, when you want them to hear something is there, do you go into it with an intention of a certain mindset or do you read What's happening in the courtroom in the moment to decide how you're going to deliver a message? Is there any art to what you guys do? Or is it more like, here's my style. I use it every single time.
2: There's definitely an art to it. And maybe that is kind of what you're getting at. We have a different art than a male attorney might, which is true. And we can either come off as, I don't want to use bad words.
0: You can use any words you like.
2: When women are aggressive, they come off as bitchy. Yep. And so we can either come off as that or we can come off as a victim. And it's playing the line between we don't wanna be either. I remember one trial, I talked to the jury after and they thought that this doctor was gonna eat me up. He was gonna eat me alive. Because you're
0: small in stature and a female and the doctor was something else. Yep. Okay.
2: So I took that and I was like, well, this jury kind of saw me potentially as a victim, but in the end they were like, you held your own. So I, I've taken that and used it in other trials to kind of be the quiet, reserved one that will not lie. Everything has to be credible. Everything has to be the truth. And I think they look at that and they can start to see that I'm going to be the truth teller. And when the other side comes up and they're throwing all this random stuff out, they can look to me and be like, yeah, we're not going to believe
0: that. Wow. Now there's a human side to all this. you guys are not just lawyers, you're spouses, friends, moms. Tell me what it's like from two perspectives. You're about to be a mama. When's your due date?
1: Um, May 9th, but it's looking like this is going to be a lot um, earlier, a couple of weeks earlier, just due to some complications, which I'm, you know, kind of excited about. I I would love to meet her earlier. Yeah. Um, She's kicking right now. So obviously she, she She digs the podcast. She wants to be on the show. She's having a great time. Um, (laughs) Jessica, not only is a mentor for me in my career, but also a mentor for me going into this new stage of my life. Um, She's been extremely helpful answering any questions that I have from is this symptom normal to what should I expect in this situation? So I think right now I'm kind of going in um, feeling good, feeling confident, um, but knowing, and I mean, and I see Jessica do this literally every single day. She's got two young kids and she kills it here still. Um, So knowing that I have this mentor both in work and in life makes me feel a lot more confident than if I didn't have somebody like her to talk to. Um, So I don't really have a lot of words of advice for having to balance being a mom and being a litigator at the same time, but I know that I can do it because I watch her do it every day.
0: And what about, has being pregnant, knowing you have this beautiful little girl growing inside you that's gonna be a life that's gonna change the world in some way, has it changed how you operate your day-to-day stuff in in the legal field? Has it made any difference? Does it make you more motivated? Does it make you go like, man, I need more. I need different kind of compassion or I need to be tougher so that this world's safer. Anything that you've noticed.
1: Um, not necessarily. Other than it's given me a, a, a lot more confidence. I mean, mm. I'm literally growing a human inside of me. Um, and if I can do that, I can do anything. <laughs> so um, I give you that. So it not necessarily has changed the way that I operate as an attorney or as a litigator in enough. You know, at, at the broader picture. But I do feel a lot more confident just in my day to day lives. I can call this um, defense counsel who has been mean to me this entire case because at the end of the day. It really doesn't matter. And I know I can hold my own. Um, So, you know, not huge changes, but I think just more of like a mindset of being confident and
0: knowing that I can do whatever I set my mind to. So cool. How about you, Jessica? Anything that you've noticed or lessons you've learned as a parent that changes the way that you interact at work?
2: I'm not sure if I've noticed anything like that. I mean, being a parent in general definitely makes you prioritize what's important in your life and that that can relate to how I view my clients and how I want to portray them to a jury and I mean I guess it makes you really realize that every life is important and if this was your child how would you want them to be represented how would you want their story to be told
0: that's beautiful so as we kind of wind this up I wanted to ask a question. I got a couple more left, but this one is for people who might be considering law school, either as a second career or they're young and they want to follow in the steps, the footsteps that you guys did. Like I know what I want to do. And they just go through that process versus having to change careers. One, two, three times. Any advice that you would have either as young girls or women going into this field or anyone in general, that's thinking about becoming an attorney.
2: Uh, I would say try different fields. I was lucky enough to get a few positions in law school, um, personal injury contracts, so that once I was out of law school, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I think it's harder once you're out of law school to try to figure it out and bounce careers and you can get pigeonholed into one. When you're practicing 10 years in criminal, it might be hard to jump over and start doing transactional. So explore as much as you can in law school but also don't take it too seriously because you're only going to learn how to read a case and find a case but you're not really going to learn how to practice
0: great advice how about
1: you, ma'am. Um, this is an extremely rewarding career. This is something that um, is absolutely going to change your life, and I mean that broader than just what you go to work and do every single day. Like we touched on earlier, these are people that are coming to you because they are at a very, very low point in their lives, um, and sometimes it's really taxing. And I don't want to say that you necessarily have to separate yourself from your client to maintain, you know, your mental, your own mental space. Um, but it is hard some days these are people that you come to care about um, who are going through extremely traumatic points in their lives there some of them are permanently disabled um, as a result of somebody else's negligence or recklessness so there are days where it's very very hard um, these are people that sometimes I think about you know every hour of the day just wondering you know how they are doing how their medical um, treatment is going etc so while it's a very very rewarding career and you you absolutely belong here um, it is taxing but I think at the end of the day the rewards that we get from helping these people absolutely outweigh the the mental stress and the mental load that sometimes we take on um, because we do have a heart for our clients and um, they take up space in our hearts so um, definitely it's worth it
0: I love it so here's my final question it's gonna be different for each of you same question different answers I'm sure Is there one piece of advice you've either learned along the way or been given that has helped you as you're reaching the points in your life where you are right now as being fundamentally important that you would share with us and with our audience?
1: If somebody tells you, no, you're not asking the right person. Oh, I love that one. (laughs) That has been my mentality. Um, and it has, you know, I think it goes with just being confident. If it's something that you want go get it. Um, it does not have to, one person does not have to dictate the rest of your life. One person's opinion does not have to dictate even the, the next hour of your day. Um, find somebody else, you know, and if, if you don't find somebody else, maybe you're the person that's going to tell yourself, yes, I can do it. And I don't need anybody else. So if you're being told, no, you're not asking the right person. Love that one. I'll make sure to tell your daughter that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's right. Muffle that
0: (laughs) one. Muffle the belly. (laughs) What about you, Jessica?
2: It's one thing coming to mind is just having fun. And that should be in every part of your life. If you're doing a job and it's not enjoyable to you, if you're doing things with your family life or home life that aren't enjoyable, seek out ways to enjoy every aspect of it. I like it. We only get one life. We
0: only got one shot. I love it. Well, this has been amazing. I hope you guys have had fun, especially, you know, just ripping yourselves away from your schedules to come join me as a final... Um, question, if someone wanted to reach out to you, whether they had questions about becoming an attorney or they were in an accident, they want to reach out and know if they can help or if they're doing the right thing. Is there a best way to to get to, you? I know our our regular number 303-733-6353, that's our office number. Would that be the best way to reach out to you guys? Or is there something else that, that people would do?
2: Yeah, that would be the best way for me. Mainly. I haven't memorized my direct line
0: yet. (laughs) You don't need to. You always call out on it. I don't (laughs) have mine memorized either. What about you, Madeline? Yeah, the office
1: number would be great. Um, I have no problem with talking to anybody. I mean, I would love to be able, you know, one day to mentor somebody the same way that I have been mentored throughout my career and my personal life too. So um, more than more than happy to have a phone conversation, hop on the phone.
0: Perfect. Well, ladies, this has been a complete joy for me. Highlight of my day. Thank you again for taking the time. I appreciate you, I appreciate the work that you do, and I know that our clients can't say thank you enough. So you guys are rock stars. I hope you have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you, Dr. Hoven. this was fun. Thank you.
0: Good, and if you've been watching this and it made a difference in your life, whether in giving you some hope, giving you some direction, giving you something to think about, please do me a favor, pass it along to someone. Someone else needs this message, they want this message, even if they're not aware of it yet. So um, do that, and also, one more favor, always remember, you have the chance to go out and make a difference, so go do it today.